people, Muslim people, Hindus, Zen Buddhists, atheists. At the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus Christ first declares to everybody, you're a heathen, but we're saved by grace. It is always and forever the grace of Jesus Christ that makes us worthy to the Father. We're no longer heathens because of His grace. There is no other message that saves. Was good. Good evening, Waters Church. After that, how can't you get hyped after that? Come on, that was awesome. It took me all week to teach them that. It was amazing that they did it that well. I'm so proud of them. Amen. Well, how many are happy about all this warm weather we're getting up here in New England? I opened my pool today. I'm so excited to jump in when I get back. And it is good to be back with you today. If you have your Bibles, take them and open up to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, if you have the bulletin that we hand you, and you should have this bulletin, take it out. If you're watching online, we welcome you. And uh, to the right of me is the scriptures. And also the bulletin that you can, uh, not the bulletin, but the note page that you can fill out along with me as we go along in this message called The Gospel for Heathens, Free to Live Not for Me. Free to Live Not for Me. We are in this message series on Galatians, and uh, we've been looking at all the implications of the gospel and how the gospel of Jesus shapes our lives. I want to say those baptisms were amazing. What amazing testimonies. I do want to say one thing that the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me to just think about and say to you. To all the people in this room who are Catholic, presently Catholic, we do not in any way believe we are better than you or the right church and you're the wrong church. For, two, for, fifth, for 500 years, Catholics and Protestants have pointed at each other and hated on each other, and we need to stop. We need to share Jesus with the world and let everybody know that we worship Jesus that's what it's about, amen? It's about Jesus. And so if you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I don't care what church you go to, you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ. So please, 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 
Please, please, please do not take those testimonies as negative statements on the Catholic Church. We never want to do that in this church. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that leave our church, go to the Catholic Church. So that's okay, too. As long as you love Jesus, I don't care where you go. As long as you love Jesus and you follow the commandments of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And know that those two don't get you to heaven, but they, because you're going to heaven because of Jesus, you do those two things. And that's what I'd like to just say. That, that's just, that's just so I hope that is some salve on anybody who might have gotten a little bit touchy about the um, baptism testimonies. Okay, um, Jesus told me to tell you, chillax. He loves y'all. All right. He loves us all. Amen. Okay. Galatians 5. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Galatians 5 verse 13. Here's what Paul says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This is verse 13 of Galatians 5. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Somebody say serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, being a Jets fan, and the like. (laughs) I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, or in another translation you might have it, since. There's a big difference between if and since. So since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are your children, and we sit here, stand here before you, knowing that all that we are and all that we have is because of you. And we ask that the word that I have read will be unpacked correctly, concisely, convictingly, convincingly. May the power of the Holy Spirit be present in this room so that your work might be accomplished and your will might be done and your kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. God, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And Father, as we pray every single time we're together, may we see Jesus. And in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you. Paul opens up by saying, you were called to freedom, brothers. Verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. That's what Galatians is about, freedom. And we've been talking about the implications of the gospel for this entire series. If you haven't been at the series every week of the series, or if you've missed the first four weeks of this series of messages, we do messages with several messages of a series of messages for everything that we do here in the teaching of God's word. But we've done four messages in this book on Galatians, and we've talked about what the gospel means. In week one, we said, listen, your identity is sealed in Christ, and because your identity is sealed in Christ, you do not need the approval of other people to uh, fashion an identity for you. That if you know who you are in Christ, what does it matter what other people think of you? You do not need to live for their approval. And then the second week, we talked about how you're called by Christ. You're not just identified in Christ. You're called in Christ. You've got a calling in God. If you know your calling, what God has called you to do, what do you need to do to please other people or to live up to their expectations? And so in some ways, you are free to resist the expectations other people might place on you when they obviously do not match up to what God tells you to do, but that we don't have to follow the expectations of others when we already understand and know our calling of, of, of in Christ in God. And then, in the, and, and then we talked about in week three how the same gospel that saves us is the gospel that completes us, and we don't live from fear 
We live in the family, firmly placed in the family of God by God's amazing grace. And so how we start as Christians is how we continue as Christians, not living in fear, but living in the family. And and the last week we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about secondary saviors and how sometimes we'll serve these things that the world teaches us to serve. The The culture and the communities in which we live sometimes, they kind of shape our wants. And those wants are oftentimes in conflict with what God wants. And if we're not careful, we'll be like Kiko the whale. Remember Kiko the whale and we'll chase, we'll chase the humans and we'll go after all the things that the other people of our world, our friends or our neighbors are chasing. But we'll miss, we'll miss the fact that if we have Christ, we actually are all set. We are already in the family of God and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and we are bound for heaven and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and our sins are forgiven and we've got a purpose for living and a home in heaven. And if that's the case, what else do we need? What else do we need to chase? That's what, I, that's what we talked about so far. And, and so far we've talked about the realities of the gospel, but now for this week and next week, we're going to talk about the so what of the gospel. In other words, if this stuff is true, if this is reality for us, and we are who we are according to grace and faith in Jesus, what now? Somebody say, what now? How do we live as Christians? Because it's not just about believing, it's also about doing. It's about living according to the way God wants you to live. And, And please don't ever mistake my preaching. I know I emphasize that you're not saved by what you do. And I will say that until the day that God takes me home and maybe even heaven, just in case some people sneak in by accident up there. You are not going to get to heaven because of what you did. You are going to get to heaven because of what Jesus did and your trust and faith in him. But do not mistake that for that now means you don't have to do nothing. That's not what we preach in this church. No, what do we mean? What we do preach is that if you believe that, well, it's time to live like it's real. And here's what Paul's saying in chapter 5 and 6 of Galatians. He's saying, now here's how you live. You were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. Oh, how we love the idea of freedom, don't we? We're We're a nation that boasts about being the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right? I mean, we love freedom, but here's what's... Here's the problem. We don't know how to handle freedom very well, do we? Like freedom without responsibility is idiocy. (laughs) You got to manage freedom. Freedom's a gift. And Paul says you're called to freedom, but, but listen, don't go thinking now that this means now you're free to do whatever you want and live however you want and be whatever you want and think however you want. No, that's not what God gave you freedom for. God gave you freedom not as an opportunity for the flesh, but as an opportunity that through love, you can say it again, everybody, those three words. You can serve one another. You can serve one another. And then the whole law, he says, fulfilled in loving your neighbor as you love yourself. America is not good at doing freedom. They're just not. We like to boast that we're like this huge, wonderful, beautiful country, but man, we got problems. We got, you got, yeah, you know, just turn on the TV for about five minutes. We got serious problems. And we like to kind of look down at other countries, all those countries with all those rules, all those restrictions, look at them, they just don't know how wonderful it is to live in a land of freedom. But you know and I know that there's something wrong with unrestrained freedom. We, 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 we hurt others when we live unrestrained in our freedom. We, we take advantage of others. We suck the life out of others when we live for ourselves, don't we? Some of you, some of you know you, you've got somebody right now in your family, and they literally suck the life out of you. And there's a good chance that that person in your family that's sucking the life out of you wears one of these things. (laughs) You know? What is this? A bib. Who wears bibs? Babies wear bibs. And the person that is the most work in your family, come on, wears this. Yes? Some of you are like past baby. Stage, let me remind you, it's hell. All right, it's tough. 
They're the ones at the table. Ah! I don't want that. What do you want? Ah, I don't want anything. Ah! And they just cry. Now, here's the thing about a baby. A baby does whatever a baby wants. Wants to cry, it cries. It does not care that you are sound asleep. <laughs> that it's 2 a.m. in the morning. That you have a big meeting at work tomorrow. No. He has decided that for the next 4.37 hours, he is going to cry his eyes out. Make life miserable for you. Then you bring him to the table, you try to give him food, he doesn't want that food, he wants other food. You go out and get that food, you bring that food, and now suddenly he's changed to the other food that you had in the first place. You know, it's amazing that we don't still do what animals do. It's amazing that we don't eat our young. Come on, sometimes that's not a bad idea. Uh, babies are demanding. And here's the thing about a baby. A baby's living in absolute freedom, isn't he? Like just total disregard for everybody else. But nobody likes it very much. I mean, we put up with it because God made them cute. He had, he had to make them cute because he knew we would kill them if they weren't so cute. But they're cute. And how many know that at the dinner table, the person that wears the bib is also the one that has to be the most restrained at the dinner table? <laughs> Nobody at the table gets these babies, do they? Do you put these on your teenager? I mean, some of you are like, wait a second, maybe I should start doing that. But you don't put restraints like, come on, think about this. These restraints are, are for babies who have no restraint. I thought about how some of you have teenagers. I want to do what I want. Okay, well, listen, you understand that you can do what you want. But if you do what you want too much, there might come a day where people will stop letting you do what you want. This is how you teach your teenagers about prison. <laughs> right here. You bring them to the high chair. You remember these days? Remember? Maybe you got to sit them in the high chair and say, here's what we did for you when you wanted to do whatever you wanted. We tied you up and kept you from doing what you wanted. Think about it. That's all prisons are. Prisons are just an adult high chair. It's just like, no, you can't do that anymore. We're going to keep you in this box until you learn to stop. That's what prisons are. And so this idea of unlimited, unrestrained freedom, I mean, it's just not, not, not what God calls us to do. There's a lot of people in America that are turning into babies. It's a big, fat baby nation. I want to do what I want sexually. I just want to do it. I just want to do it. And it's like, okay, fine, go do it. But you know that you are going to have to pay for it. I want to do what I want financially. I want to do it. It's mine. It's mine. I want to buy whatever I want. Whatever I want with the credit cards. And la, 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 la. Fine, go do it. But guess what? You are going to have to pay for that. And if it's not you, then it's going to be somebody else. <sighs> other than you, who's going to have to pay for your irresponsibility. Here's the thing that I, I want to put up on the screen, that you can pay, but you're going to have to play. Uh, you're, you can play, but you're going to have to pay for how you play. See, unlimited freedom thinks, oh, I'm going to just pay. I'm just going to play, 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 play. My life is a playground. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and, and yeah, sure, fine. And listen, the Supreme Court of the United States and the Senate and the Congress can give you the right to do whatever these things that they're giving you the right to do. But when it's time to pay, you try going back to them to get them to help you and see how it goes. Because they're going to be like, not our problem. You've got to pay for how you play. And so we have this false idea in this country of, of what freedom is. Like, think about this. Like, you know, America is a very sexualized culture. And the Middle East culture, Muslim countries, they hate us not because we're free. They hate us in, in large respects because of our sexual liberation. Look it up. Like, do real research. And, and, and you'll find that they just can't understand why we're so vulgar and we're so sexually expressive. It's disgusting to them. I, and, and I remember I was having a conversation with a woman. Um, she was on staff at a church uh, when Cheryl and I, we went to the compassion trip down in El Salvador in April. And she was with us. And she said that uh, she went to a Muslim country as a missionary for a couple of months. I said, that must have been awful for you as a woman. I'll never forget her response. Her response was, it wasn't awful at all. She said, I've never felt so secure as a woman 
as when I was in a Muslim country. I said, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? She said, no, you don't understand. You see, we Westerners don't get this. But because they have women dress up like they do, and they don't use a woman's body to sell everything, that, that because of that, the woman is not therefore then objectified, and she starts to not measure herself by the curves of another woman on a screen or on a poster, and because she doesn't have to constantly measure herself by all these other portrayals of what the perfect woman looks like, she actually feels completely confident in who she is instead of constantly comparing herself to everybody around her. She says, I never have felt more freedom to be a woman than in a Muslim country. I was dumbfounded. Now, please listen. I am not for making Muslim laws in this country. But my point is to say this, we live in this facade that sells itself as freedom, but we often don't see the cost, the emotional toll on our hearts, on our children, on our marriages. You're free to go and look at whatever you want on your computer, but you're going to have to pay for how you play. You're free to eat however you want. Go stuff yourself with saturated fats and eat tons of red meat and eat all that you can eat. Come on, it's America. But you're going to have to pay for how you play, right? Some of you, if I had the chance to do it right now, if we had the time, which we don't, I'm not going to do it, but I could have had you come up here. And you could tell us about how you played in your 20s and your paying in your 40s. How you played in your 30s and your paying in your 50s. See, true freedom, listen, true freedom is not the, the ability or the right to do whatever the heck you want. That's what babies do. Now, true freedom, if you're taking notes, is this. True freedom is using my God-given identity and God-given calling to serve others in selfless love. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying here. You're called to freedom, but don't use that freedom to please the flesh. Because what happens, you please the flesh right now, and then we're gonna tie, and the flesh is going to tie you up in ropes later on. You're called to serve others. You're called to serve others. You're called to serve others. I think about how God is free, right? You don't get any freer than God. You don't get any freer than the Almighty. How cool to be God. He knows everything and everyone. He knows the difference between Real news and hashtag fake news. He knows exactly what's up. And he has the power to do something about it. Because you know, it's one thing to know what's going on, but then to be able to do anything about it. Like most of us, that's where we stop. We're like, hey, it stinks, but I can't do anything. What can I do? But God has both all knowledge and all power. He could do anything he wants. Total freedom. And yet, how does this God act? He sends his son to a cross. The completely unlimited one limits himself to a human being and further limits himself to the people of Israel, and further limits himself to a cross. Well, what did they do? They nail him to that cross. The limitless one became totally limited. Why? To serve you. Whoa. That's what God did. So here's how God operates with freedom. He uses his identity and his calling as God to serve others in selfless love. You want to be more like God? 
Well, the answer would be more like God is not, you know, don't do bad stuff. The answer to being like God is to love selflessly, to give generously, to lay down your rights, to lay down your power so that other people can be empowered and other people can know that they matter. And if we're going to be a great church, it starts there. It doesn't start with the lights and the smoke and the dance. No, it starts when we say, I know I could do this if I wanted to, but I'm not going to because my neighbor matters to God. These people in my life matter to God. These people in my family, which sometimes I really don't like, they matter to God. And so while I could retaliate and hate them and and fight them and create conflict, I'm going to instead do what God did for me. I'm going to serve them. Sounds great, right? How many know it's not easy? So easy for me to get up here and say it. You know, this is the easiest 45 minutes of my week to be a Christian right now. Right now. This stage, I am so Christian on this stage. I wish I could bring this stage with me everywhere I go. <laughs> Some happens when I got off the stage, I'm not so Christian anymore. Ask those who are closest to me. And I'm like, so, so here's the deal, though. I know I'm called to do this. I know I'm called to be selfless. I know I'm called to love. It's hard. And this is what Paul's going to talk about in Galatians chapter 5. Here's how you do it. Because he didn't just say do it. He gave us the how to do it. In Galatians chapter 5. So, number one, if you're taking notes, I need help. Point number one, I need help. Somebody say, I need help. <laughs> now turn to your neighbor and say, you're darn right you do. <laughs> How many know that's worth coming to church right there just to be able to finally say it to that person? You do need help. Here's what, Paul, here's what Paul says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of flesh. Okay, table verse 16 for a moment, table that. Here's what he says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep, now, notice this phrase, these, the Spirit, the flesh, are opposed to each other, why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here's what Paul says. Here's the condition. The condition is there's a conflict. And, and, and I want to make sure you're clear. Paul is talking to Christians. I don't think that non-Christians have this conflict. I don't. I might be wrong. I, I don't think, though, theologically, we can make the case that non-Christians have the same conflict. Here's what I mean. Paul says you've got the flesh in you, that nasty part of you, that Adam spirit in you, that thing that was passed down from your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather. And yes, I do believe if your father struggled with this, you probably struggled with that too. I do believe the Bible talks about that in the Ten Commandments that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the fourth generation. You know that they've done actual studies about this, that, that, that there are habits that are only broken after four generations. Scientific studies. It's amazing how often the Bible is true. And so anyway, we've got all this nastiness inside of us that wants to do the bad stuff that we keep on doing. But every time we do it, Christians, Christians, every time we do it, what do we feel? Terrible. Ah, oh, why did I do that? Ah, I hate that I did that. Oh, is that really me? No. Oh my gosh, I'm terrible. And so this is why Christians, for the non-Christians among us, some of the Christians you know are the most miserable people on the planet. Because you being a non-Christian, you do whatever you want and there's no conflict because the Holy Spirit's not there saying, shame on you. The Holy Spirit's not saying, hey, you shouldn't have done that. The Holy Spirit's not saying, you've grieved me. He's not doing that for you. So you do whatever you want and you divorce your wife and you marry a 20-year-old and you move to Miami Beach and you open a tiki hut and you're perfectly fine. 
right? You think, oh, that's it. That's my life. I can do whatever I want, and you don't have any kind of conflict with it. But if the Holy Spirit is in you and you do all that stuff, you're going to be miserable. Because the Holy Spirit is going to say, what are you doing to me? This is not right. This is not what you're called to. This is not how you're supposed to live. And so the whole, the spirit and the flesh, they are in direct conflict with each other. And here's what happens. You end up not doing the things that you want to do. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In other words, I love what God says. And listen to me very carefully. Every Christian loves what God says. Every Christian loves what God says, even when the world says what God says is not right. I love what God says. And he's saying, but, verse 23, I see in my members, it's inside of me. It's not you, it's me. I see in, law, uh, in my members another law, waging war, conflict, against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says, I, I am, I'm conflicted. And a Christian's always going to be conflicted because a Christian will have the spirit dwelling in them saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. And the flesh working against them saying, no way, no way, no way, no way. Conflict. I need help. Now here's the deal. No matter what we do, we can't get away from this stuff. No matter what we do, we can't get away from it. And, and Paul's like, okay, listen, let's make sure you're clear about what this is. So we know, we know, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are, say the word, everybody, evident. Say it again. Evident. evident. You, know what, you know what the Greek word for evident means? Evident. <laughs> it means it's so easy to see. The works of the flesh are easy to see. Let's look at sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He goes on, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He's like, man, those things are so easy to see. And they're resident in all of us. Maybe, maybe some more than others. Like not everybody's as jealous as everybody else and not everybody's as sexually immoral as everybody else. But, but there's junk in there. And here's the thing, you shouldn't be surprised. Christians should be the least shocked at the nightly news of every human being on the planet. You turn it on like another shooting, another woman doing this, that, the other thing to the. Of course, they're human. So we think, okay, so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna get away from everybody because these humans are pretty nasty. So let's go away. Let's get alone. Let's get into our little huts, our little holy huddles. I've been doing this for years, by the way. The church, this is nothing new. Church has been doing this little holy huddle thing for a long time. A lot of churches are like that. Us for and no more. Why? Because everybody else is filthy. Us for and no more. We're going to be holy. Holy for Jesus. And everybody else who's going to come into church is going to show us that they're holy first. And once we think you're holy enough, then you can come and watch us. This is, this is what the church has been doing for centuries. How many know you get into that church and you find out they're just stuck up and arrogant Christians? They're just as nasty as everybody else. They're just Christian nasty. <laughs> right? It's like when you see a pastor, he's like, he gets on the stage, adultery is wrong. And he's the one doing it. And like, you know what I'm saying? How many times do we have to see in the 1990s and the 2000s? Homosexuality is a vile sin before God. And the guy saying that the strongest is the one doing it. So what's going on? There's nasty here. There's nasty here. So there's a church father named Jerome in the fourth century. And he decided his plan was, I'm going to get away from everybody. So he went out in the middle of the wilderness and lived like a hermit, alone. He fasted for weeks and months. He got completely isolated. You know that Jerome was considered the brightest theologian of his day at age 30. He actually wrote the, the, the Latin translation of the Bible that some Catholics still to this day use. It comes from Jerome. Well, he decided, I'm going to get away from everybody because everybody's a problem. 
And you know what? The old adage was true for Jerome as it is for you and me. Wherever you go, there you are. And he writes about it. He says this. He says, though I was protected by the rampart of the lonely desert, I could not endure against the promptings of sin and the ardent heat of my nature. I tried to crush them by frequent fasting, but my mind always was in turmoil of imagination. Oh, how often I imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert, in that solitary wasteland which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it proves a dreadful habitation for the monks. I, who because of the fear of hell, had condemned myself to such a hell and had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, often thought that I was dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body. And the fires of sex seethed. (laughs) He had a sex problem in the middle of the wilderness. (laughs) Even though the flesh had already died in me as a man, he's saying, listen, I tried to get away from everybody, and all I knew was that I was still there. And I have flesh, I need help. Now, if I can say this, the first part of the good news is that you know you need help because it's impossible to help people, right, who don't know they need help. And, and so the Christian can rejoice in his struggle with sin because he's at least saying, this isn't right. But if you try to fast it away and pray it away, you know, and program it away, you're going to fail. You're going to fail because all you're doing is looking at human effort to make yourself holy. You need help. So number two, if you're taking notes, is this, help is available. (laughs) Help is available. Okay? Well, what help? Non-human help. Non-human help is available. This is what Paul is going to unpack for us in Galatians 5. He says, but I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. If you've got your notes out, just circle Spirit right there. Walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, and if you are led by the Spirit, so walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Circle Spirit again. You are not under the law. In other words, it's not about the do's and don'ts anymore because the Holy Spirit will lead you. And then it says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, circle Spirit again. Keep circling Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Your help is the Holy Spirit. Your help to do what you can't do in your flesh is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, do you know what he called the Holy Spirit? The helper. John 14, 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, Christian, You're not in this fight alone. You know, the Holy Spirit is so important to you. I think that you got to realize that Jesus believed the Holy Spirit was so important. He actually told his disciples, you should be happy I'm leaving so that you can have the Holy Spirit. He did. He said in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your, say that word there, Advantage. I like advantages, don't you? (laughs) It's your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the, there it is again, helper, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The church was born the day the Holy Spirit came and filled those 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit has been filling people ever since for 2,000 2000 years. And we are here in this room, not because of ideas of man and cleverness of tongue. We are here in this room because the Holy Spirit is still filling people's hearts and bodies. You need the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Now, now, now, he says, walk, verse 16, by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify. In other words, the conflict will be over when you walk by the Spirit. So the question is, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, think about, you know, walking. (laughs) Walking is an active event. There's this new trend in office space um, furniture. It's called the standing desk. Actually, I actually have one. And um, I realized that standing doesn't do it for me. And uh, so you know what I do, what I'm now looking into is they actually have treadmills that go under your desk. Yeah. We're going to start the treadmill for Pastor Tim Fund after this message. But you know, <laughs> we're, you, they, they have done research. Stanford University said the research shows that if you stand and stare at a, uh, if, you, if you walk on a treadmill staring at a blank wall, your mind is twice as alert, twice as creative than as if you were just sitting or standing. They said it couldn't be right. You obviously you had to get outside. You had to hear, you know, breathe fresh air. Nope, not necessary. All you need to do is keep walking. You keep walking and you'll become attentive. Because what walking does is it activates other sensories in your brain to become more creative, to problem solve, to develop different ideas, and think differently. So I thought about, man, what if we had a walk with the Holy Spirit? We're all about walking nowadays, you know? How many of you, you got something right now on your wrist? It counts your steps. How many of you threw it away last week because you're ticked off at it? Come on. You know what I'm saying? And you, you want to know, how many steps have I taken? And we care so much. We care so much about how many steps we've taken physically. Let me ask you this. How many steps have you taken with the Holy Spirit today? Ooh. I want to patent an idea. Holy Spirit step bometer. <laughs> people, ah, 15 times me and the Holy Spirit did business today. So how do we walk with the Holy Spirit? We, we activate our relationship with him. Every moment that we possibly can. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor in Britain in the 1900s, he said, he said, the most dangerous thing that we do with the Holy Spirit, we do it all the time. We just forget that he's there. It's the most dangerous thing. He's there now. He wants to talk to you, lead you, help you, empower you. No, it's not just coming and listening to me, friend. It's the Holy Spirit doing life with you, okay? Activate. Get your mind going with the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. You got help. So here's what you can do. I've put it on your notes there. The most precious prayer you can pray to the Holy Spirit is this. Holy Spirit, help me. Now in your notes, I know there's more blanks than is up here on the screen. So just cross out the blanks and just put Holy Spirit, help me. Because I was going to say it another way, but I thought just let's make it as easy as possible. Four words. We can manage four words, right? So let's all practice these four words on the count of three. One, two, three. Holy Spirit, help me. Okay, so you can do it. (laughs) The question is, when do you do it? And this is why I think Paul puts all the works of the flesh in that list. Remember he said they're evident, easy to see. Jealousy, fits of rage, uh, hatred, um, uh, selfish desire. What else does he say? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, all those things. Idolatry, sorcery. Okay, so here's what I think. Here's what I think he's saying. Whenever you see the flesh, talk to the spirit. So whenever you're tempted to look in lust, before you do it, because you're free to do it if you want, if you want, because you're an American, you're free to do it, but you know you're going to hate it afterwards, okay? Instead, say four words. Holy Spirit, what? Help me. 
And when you see your sister and her house is so clean and yours is a mess and you're just about to hate on her in your heart and you just want to stab her with a kitchen knife, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Before you pick up the knife <laughs> or as you're thinking about it, <laughs> what are you going to say? Holy Spirit, help me. And when that thing becomes a, starts to become a controlling influence and it started out as a simple hobby, but now it's controlling you, before you pick it up again, you say, Holy Spirit, help me. I think it's the most precious prayer you can pray because what you're saying is, I need you, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, yes, I'm here. Try it. Try it and see. Because you can't do this alone. And then Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit will start to be born in your life. Now, please, please, please. I've, served, I've heard so many messages on Galatians 5.22 that take the fruit of the Spirit and turn them into do's of the, of the flesh. So they do like nine-part series on the fruit of the Spirit starting next week. Next week is, number one, love more. Number two, be joyful more often. You know, and we, we try to tell people to do these things. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying if you let the Holy Spirit control you, the fruit will naturally come out of you. You won't have to do it. It'll happen. But you've got to say it. You've got to say it. Holy Spirit, help me. He's there. He, he's a person. You understand this? He's a person, and he's there to help you. Jesus would not have died and gone to heaven if this wasn't true. And he can help you. Amen? Number three, and finally, am I helping? <laughs> am I helping? Okay, so what do I mean here? Um, what I mean is, if the Holy Spirit is in you, and he's helping you, he doesn't help you just so you can feel good about you. He helps you so that you can help others. And this is how you start to do what the whole law is all about, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. This is how you start to do the selfless stuff that God has done for you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because see, here's the thing, friend. When you don't get caught up in personal addictions and jealousies and envies and rivalries and divisions and all those things of the flesh, you got a whole bunch of energy in reserve that used to go to managing all those things. And now you can redirect those energies for other people. I don't have to hide my addictive thing now anymore. I've got this energy. I'm true. I'm free. I don't have to obsess about money anymore. I'm free. I don't have to obsess about what other people's lives look like compared to me anymore. I'm free. The Holy Spirit has lifted that away from me, and the Holy Spirit has empowered me to live the way God wants me to live. I got all this energy. Now I can help. So he goes, he goes, look, remember what he said? Use your freedom, verse 13 of chapter 5, to serve others in love. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, so then as we have opportunity, there's that word again, don't use it for the flesh, don't use the opportunity for the No, let's use that opportunity to do good to everyone, to do good to, say it, every Muslim, atheist, conservative, liberal, refugee, Native American, whatever color that they are, whatever, whatever their issue are, let's just do good to everyone. Why? Because we got energy in the Holy Spirit. We can do it now. But Paul says, and especially, say especially, to who? To those who are of the household of faith. Who's that? You people. <laughs> Do good to everyone, but 
especially other Christians. So that the world will see this community that doesn't get jealous and hateful and angry and reactive to all the chaos of unbelievers in the world. Because we're not shocked by that anyway. But that we live for one another, and when they see it, they'll say, what is your deal? And we'll say, Jesus. So, last three questions. Do I have a community in Christ? Are you doing something for others in Christ? Do you have a community? What I'm asking you is, do you have a small group? Do you have a small group? And I'm not talking about this group. This is not a small group. This is a big group. You need a small group of people that you can say, these are my family and this is my community. Number two, am I serving that community in the name of Christ? Are you doing something for others? Are you, are you living for someone other than yourself? And no, 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 no. Your small group is not your immediate family. Unbelievers love their immediate family. Christians are not unbelievers. Who outside of your family, outside of your kids, is getting your money, your time, your talents, your abilities, your encouragement. And so the last question is predicated on the first two questions. If not, why not start today? A small group signups in the back. We want you to sign up for a small group today if you're not in a small group and start loving your neighbors, you love yourself, but especially the household of faith. I want you to watch this video. There are some things in life you can't do alone, like play ping pong. Give yourself a root canal. Be stuck in a traffic jam. Are you serious? Perform a flash mob. Have a second. Ready, race. set, go! Come on, go! go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, baby, come on! Go on a lunch date. Or do a trust fall. Okay, here I go. Falling. Oh, dear. Some things in life don't work without the help of others. Your spiritual journey is one of them. When it comes to that, we're much better together. You aren't meant to do life alone, so stop by the small group table in the lobby on your way out and find your group today.